We're going to be continuing on in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. We're going to be focusing in just on these last three verses, 31, 32, and 33 of Ephesians chapter 5. 31, 32, 33. But this morning, as I've been, as we've been looking at this passage, I'm going to be reading from verse 22 all the way through to verse 33. So you could find us on page 1,159 in the Bibles provided. Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 22. Wives. Submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful that you do lift up marriage as a display of your son and the church. Father, we pray that you will guide us into your word, into your truth. Father, we pray for wisdom and understanding, for discernment, to know your truth, so that in knowing your truth, we would be set free. We thank you for your son, and the power of the Holy Spirit, and your grace and love to us. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. As we've been going through this understanding of the husband and the wife, as we've been looking at Paul's description here, we see where the Apostle Paul is doing two things at once. He is teaching us what a Christian marriage looks like, what a marriage 
in Jesus Christ is to be. And in so doing, he's teaching us Christ's relationship to the church. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And this is this mystery that he gets to in verse 32. Ultimately, he says, this is a profound mystery. This is beyond our full grasp, beyond our full comprehension. I'm very glad that we will have eternity to worship, to praise, to glorify, and to grow in our understanding of the love of Jesus Christ for us. And the reason I'm grateful for that is it will take us eternity to begin to grasp that love. To begin to understand what it means that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. To understand what it means that the son who is holy and perfect would come and take on flesh and take on our sin and drink the full cup of God's wrath on our behalf. It will take eternity for us to understand how the Holy Spirit has, has so made us alive and dwells in us so that we can, can grow in our understanding of God and all His attributes and all His glory. So that's why heaven is described in so many ways in Revelation. You see, in heaven, heaven is described as all things are made well. Everything is perfect for those who are with God, in relationship with Him. For those who are united to Christ, you get this ultimate picture of a wedding feast. It is time to celebrate. At this wedding feast, this is where the the groom who is Jesus Christ, in all His glory and all His splendor as King of kings and Lord of lords, He comes in the new heaven and new earth and the church. These are all of God's people of all time. Everyone who is in Jesus Christ, everyone who is united to Jesus Christ through faith, everyone who is in Jesus Christ through God's grace. And you have this beautiful depiction of this wedding feast. Oh, it's a celebration. And you have this celebration in two different, two different areas of focus. So I would take you to those areas. We're going to look at this. And this is where I do encourage, if you're able to, to come to tonight. Or we'll spend much more time focused in on these passages. And I'm just going to touch on them as we enter into this passage of Scripture of Ephesians. So first is Revelation 19. Revelation 19, starting at verse 7. Let us rejoice and exalt 
and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. You remember who the Lamb is. This is the Lamb who was slain. This is the Lamb who has a book. It's the most important book ever written. It is the book of the Lamb who was slain. And why is that book so important? Because whoever's name is written in the book of the Lamb who was slain, you are God's elect. You are the people of God. You will be saved. You will be sanctified. You will be glorified. And you will be invited to this marriage feast. Oh, you want to be in this marriage feast. So this is the Lamb. So it says this, Revelation 19, verse 7, Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to them, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Again, verse 9, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So that's everything. That's everything. Oh, there was much talk about that recent royal wedding, about who was invited and who wasn't and who attended. That didn't even make it in the scripture. This is the wedding. And this is the wedding celebration. That is everything. So this is everything. If you are invited to this marriage and the following feast and celebration, you have life eternal. You have peace. You've been made right with God. You have God's love. You have everything. If you are not invited to this marriage and this feast, you have nothing. You have nothing. And not only do you have nothing, all that you do have for eternity, rather than peace with God, is enmity with God. Hostility with God. And you will never be able to enter into the celebration of the Lamb and His marriage with His bride. So this marriage feast is everything. This is everything. Oh, you want to be invited. And that's why it says again, verse 9, And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed Happy, full of joy are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
This is a powerful service. This marriage and then the following celebration for eternity. And if you go on to Revelation 21, verse 3, we're getting another picture of this. What takes place at the marriage? What do the vows look like? What, what does the service look like? Oh, here's a marriage service. Here it is. Revelation 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Now this is what's here. Verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That's how important. And that's how glorious And that's how wonderful it is to be invited to this marriage. To be a part of the bride of Christ. Because with Christ for eternity, united with him, the church as the bride, the bride that Jesus Christ died on the cross for, the bride that Jesus Christ gave his blood for, the bride that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead for, from, for so that the bride could be free from sin, free from death, free from the, of the devil. The bride that Jesus Christ sacrificed himself completely for. The bride for whom Jesus Christ, he received scorn. He received mocking. They laughed at him. They insulted him, they beat him, and they crucified him so that he can make the bride beautiful, spotless, without wrinkle. Oh, what a groom. Oh, what a husband. There's a description. We've seen of how beautiful the marriage is and how beautiful the feast for eternity. But there's also a description of those who are not invited to the feast. And that's verse 8 of Revelation 21. Revelation 21, verse 8. As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. You gotta get invited to the feast. This becomes everything. To be united to Christ, to be his bride, to be his church, to be in him, 
This becomes everything for our friends and our loved ones. Everyone we know who who is lost, who is not saved, who doesn't know Jesus Christ. This becomes our whole passion where we cry out to them. Know Christ. Believe in him. We plead with them. Because we want them invited to the feast, to this marriage feast. This is everything. So the Apostle Paul, when he invokes this image of marriage and of Jesus Christ being the groom and the church being the beautiful bride that he has bought through his sacrifice and his blood, that he has wooed. Oh, Jesus woos us. Even when we are yet sinners and running from him, we see where God woos us. He, he draws us irresistibly in his love and in his grace. And then as he draws us, we become united to Christ through faith. We enter into that union. And that marriage between Christ and his church lasts for ever forever and that's what's powerful because we understand the scripture our earthly marriages are not eternal now they are till death do us part but they're not eternal because if you die in jesus christ and you're raised to new life we understand that in the new heaven and new earth, we are not going to be married and given into marriage as we are on this heaven and earth. No, because Jesus Christ is our everything and he is the groom and we are the bride. We, we do not have those same relationship dynamics with other people as we do now. And that marriage with Jesus Christ is far more, far greater than anything we could ever capture now in our marriages. Yet alone, the marriage now is a a metaphor. It is an image, and it is to teach us and instruct us in that relationship of Christ with his church. As the Apostle Paul has been going through Ephesians, he makes clear that for us to be married to Christ, that means that we have to die to our previous partner to whom we are united with. This is a theological concept that the Apostle Paul has wove through Ephesians. Before we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are married to the law. Before we come to Jesus Christ, We are married, in a way, to sin, to the devil, to this fallen world around us. It's throughout the Old Testament. That's why God called out the people of Israel. And he sent his prophets, and he said this, that he was to be their husband, yet they went off and committed adultery with the idols and false gods and false things around them. And they forsook him. 
So we have this understanding of God coming and reclaiming his bride, his people. And that happens in Jesus' death on the cross. So that's why ultimately when you come to faith, you must die. You die to yourself. You die to sin. You die to the world. You die to the devil. You die to your old self. And you live new in Jesus Christ. Now you have the most perfect husband that you could ever hope for. And that's the image he raised up throughout Paul. You see this in Romans. I take you to Romans 7 to help us understand this image of how we enter into this marriage with Jesus Christ. So Romans 7, verse 1. This is helping us enter into this profound mystery. We're just trying to grasp some of the key things of this profound mystery, which is a husband leaves his father and mother, it's Genesis 2, and becomes one with, cleaves to, holds fast his wife, and the two become one flesh. And Paul says that's a profound mystery that's illustrating ultimately the relationship of the church with Jesus Christ. So Romans 7, starting at verse 1. Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives. So stop there, only as long as he lives. So what is this authority that the law has over us? Then you go back to chapter 6, verse 23. So the verse just before this one. So what is our condition outside of union and marriage with Jesus Christ? And it is this, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that's setting up this discussion of no longer being married to the law, no longer being married to sin, but entering into marriage by God's grace to Jesus Christ, unity with him. So Romans 7, verse 2. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So then... If she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, here's the key, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. So, my brothers, you also, so this is everyone who comes to believe in Jesus Christ, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another. Be married to another. Be united to another. Who is that? To him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit to God. 
For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work on our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So when the Apostle Paul speaks of Genesis 2 and how God institutes marriage, and he says the man will leave his father and mother and unite, hold fast, cleave, become one with his wife. That is the ultimate illustration of how God sends his son So that we can be set free. So we can die to our old marriage to sin and death and destruction. So that we can die. And in our new life, we can be united in marriage to Jesus Christ. Forever. And ever. And ever. And ever. That's how that lasts. That's how long your marriage to Jesus Christ will last. If you're in him. Forever. And that's a good thing. That's a gracious thing. And that's a beautiful thing. So as we understand this marriage, Paul takes us through this. We understand it. We saw that in Romans. And that's ultimately in Romans 6, what our baptism is to symbolize. Our baptism is to symbolize us dying to that old self and being free from that so that through faith and new life, we are united to Christ, who is our groom, and we, the church, is his bride. And that's why in verse 32 of our text, Ephesians 5, Paul says, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. This is why in 2 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul, after 1 Corinthians, and we understand that 1 Corinthians wasn't even the first letter he wrote to the church in Corinth. We don't even know how many letters he wrote. All we have is 1 and 2 Corinthians. So here at the end, toward the end of 2 Corinthians, after the Apostle Paul has poured out tears and admonition and and exhorting and rebuking and and encouraging and and lifting up the church in Corinth. He's just just crying out to them. He's lifting up Christ and and, and just, oh, his teaching in 1 and 2 Corinthians is so powerful. You see the the heart of of someone who loves the church and loves God's people and, and is going to give up his life so that the church would come to know the beauty and glories of Christ. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2, For I feel a divine jealousy for you. And the Apostle Paul sums up his apostleship in this way. Since I betrothed you to one husband. This is your new husband. To present you as a pure virgin to Christ. 
So that's how the Apostle Paul sums up his apostleship, sums up his ministry, and sums up everything he's praying for and hoping for for the church of Jesus Christ. He has a divine jealousy for them because he has betrothed the people of God, these people in Corinth, to one husband. And his whole prayer and hope is that he could present them as a pure virgin to Christ. That's a powerful illustration. Because when you think of the Corinthians, the people of Corinth, as in us here, every form of sin and immorality and disobedience and wickedness has been displayed in the lives of these people before they came to Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul here is speaking about saved sinners. But Christ can make us so alive and so new and so complete that it doesn't matter what sin, what disobedience, what wickedness, what enslavement to sin, what enslavement to the devil, what enslavement to the world you've been freed from. If you've been set free in Jesus Christ, if you've been made alive in him and you trust in him and you long for his coming and he is the one who is most precious and most desirous and most beautiful to you, then you are a pure virgin to Christ. You've been washed clean. Though our sins are like scarlet, the blood of Jesus Christ makes them as white as snow. So that's why in 1st and 2nd Corinthians, the Paul, Apostle Paul keeps saying, stop flirting with and fooling around with those old husbands. That's what so much of 1st and 2nd Corinthians is. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, who is your true and loving and gracious husband. So as you can see, this is a profound mystery. It is far beyond. And as I said in the beginning, I am so glad that we have forever to grow in and contemplate and begin to understand the beauty and glories of Jesus Christ as the groom and, and us as the bride who has been made beautiful and spotless. So in verse 33, the Apostle Paul circles back and he sums this up. However, you can see the Apostle Paul, when he's teaching it, he, he'll get, he's taken up. He's taken up. It's almost like those moments where the Apostle Paul, again, you can almost see him starting to drift up to that seventh heaven again. He gets, he gets taken up. Every once in a while, he'll break out in a song or he'll break out into doxology, or he'll break out into prayer, and you'll see him just, you can almost see Paul, almost his, his feet being lifted up. I mean, he's, just be, he's just being taken up in these beautiful moments. And that's what happens to him in verse 32. He's, remember, the apostle Paul was taught directly 
by the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ for three years. He saw him on the road to Damascus. He had, he had the most close, intimate relationship with Christ, teaching him and instructing him. And it's, in verse 32, you can see him just, be, just being lifted up again. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And then 33, you can see Apostle Paul come, come back down, and, is, and he sees the church again. And, and that's why in 33 he says, however. So he's trying to get his footing again. However. And now he's back looking at the people of God. Let each one of you love his wife as himself remember that's what he developed before if if a husband loves himself he takes care of himself and that well all the more he takes care of his wife to love one's wife is to love yourself why because you're one because you're united you're one and then and let the wife see that she respects her husband rather than tearing him down in thought, word, and action, that she would lift him up and honor him and respect him in, in the most beautiful way. Because that's ultimately what we, the church, are to do for Jesus Christ. We are to respect Jesus Christ. We are to submit to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ... Unlike earthly husbands, Jesus Christ is the capital K king of kings. He is the capital L Lord of lords. So Jesus Christ receives all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor. So it's my hope and prayer for all of you. Hope and prayer. Just this last Saturday... The boys were at an event, and someone had to leave a little early because they were going to a marriage. And they went, and they got dressed in that, and were ready, and they were excited, you know, and they were excited that they got invited. It was a friend of the family and that. And, and I said, oh, well, you know, have a good time. But as they left, because I had been preparing this text all week, I said, oh, I missed an opportunity. I missed an opportunity. I realized that after they saw their vehicle driving away. I missed the opportunity. And what opportunity I had to say was this. Well, I'm so glad you're looking forward to this marriage. And I pray and hope it's a beautiful ceremony and a beautiful time afterward. And I pray that that groom and that that bride, that they are just beautiful and that they will love each other and commit to each other in Christ. I pray and hope for all those things. But let me tell you, there is one marriage and there is one marriage feast that is everything. You want to be invited to that. You want to be there because that celebration will last forever and ever and ever. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you would so graciously, as you display in the Old Testament book of Hosea, 
that while we are rebelling against you in adulterous sin, that you would redeem us. That you would buy us back. That you would make us your wife. And that you would make us beautiful. Through the washing of the word and the blood and your grace and love. Father, we pray that you'll help each and every one of us here look to you as the fulfillment of all our hopes and dreams and desires. In Christ's wonderful name, amen.